You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came up to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh God in heaven, we pray to you because we need you, and we depend upon you, and we pray that you would conform our wills to your will. We pray that as we come to the word of God, that sinners would be saved. Those who have come to church with hard and stubborn hearts would have their hearts broken, and they would come to life and be born again, and they would receive the living waters of Jesus Christ. We pray, God in heaven, that you would strengthen your people this morning through the preached word, that you'd help us, Lord. Help me as I preach your word. Help your people as they listen and apply it. For the anointing of the Spirit of God, we ask that you would save the lost and strengthen your church and unify us even more around your word, we ask. Be with us in Jesus' name, amen. So this is the Passion Week, it's where we are in in Matthew's gospel. And Judas has already received 30 pieces of silver. And he's ready to betray Jesus into the hands of sinners. Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, which was also the Last Supper, the last Passover, and at the Last Supper, instituted the Lord's Supper. This has already happened. At the Last Supper, or the Passover, uh, Jesus predicted that all of his, or after it, Jesus predicted that All of his disciples would fall away. Of course, Peter insisted that he wouldn't. He'd be obedient to Jesus even unto death. And Jesus predicted, prophesied specifically, that Peter would deny him three times. And Peter again insisted he wouldn't. So here, what they do is they enter into this famous place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 36, we see that, that Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is a name, it means oil press, <coughs> likely. And it is an olive grove on the Mount of Olives, facing Jerusalem. It's likely a fenced-in garden, fenced-in olive grove, and perhaps owned by one of Jesus' friends or followers. But we know from John chapter 18, verse 2, that Jesus often went there with his disciples to pray. So this is a place where you could often find him and his disciples praying. So they go into this garden of Gethsemane, and today in Gethsemane we see the anguish of soul in Jesus Christ as he's faced with his crucifixion. 
So he knows the crucifixion's coming, and he has this deep inner anguish. And this brings his human will into full submission to God through this time of prayer where his anguish, his inner turmoil is expressed, and it's seen, it's revealed. And he is alert in this section to the dark spiritual reality that's afoot. I've talked about this several times now as they go into Jerusalem and as they're heading to the crucifixion, which is on the Friday. Now the crucifixion is only hours away, really. And they're heading into this, this very dark moment. And Jesus is aware of that. He's aware of what's going on. His disciples are not. They're asleep, literally and spiritually. And we should leave this text this morning after the sermon's over in awe of the price that Christ paid for our salvation. So that, that's going to be pressed on us. Is that there was a very dear cost paid for our salvation, and we will leave today, hopefully, in awe of that heavy cost. But beyond that, we should leave with a desire to live in full submission to God like Christ does here and not be asleep as the disciples are. We want to live in submission to God, and that comes through spiritual watchfulness and being awake and alert and not like the disciples are. And we should leave ready to follow our great champion, Jesus Christ, who has paid for our sins and find great peace with God through Him. So what we do in this text is we witness the humanity of Christ when He enters into the prayer and to deep anguish of soul, travail of soul, over the death that He's to bear, and He rises from prayer in submission to death that He must bear. So he's, this is all about His human will becoming submissive to the plan that God has predestined for him, which is this crucifixion that's awaiting him. And here's, here's what you need to be aware of, is you don't pick your lot in life. Everyone here has a different situation, so many different variables, but you don't pick it. You don't pick the family you're born into. You don't pick the circumstances that the Lord deals you. But here's what you do. You get to decide how you're going to live in the middle of it. That's your choice. Your choice isn't the lot you're given. Your choice is will you live in submission to Christ? And that submission is often costly. So here... The meekness of Christ that brings him to prayer and brings him to his costly death is on full display. So if you want to live this costly discipleship before God, you get to see how it's done today. And not only do you get to see how it's done, but you get to meet the one who did it on your behalf, Jesus Christ. And there's a sequence to this text. There's a sequence. Here's the sequence. Jesus interacts with his disciples, then he prays. Jesus interacts with his disciples, then he prays. Jesus interacts with his disciples, then he prays, and then Jesus interacts with his disciples. And this is the sequence. So if you want to follow along, that's just how it goes as we work our way through this little narrative. He interacts with his disciples, he prays, he interacts with his disciples, he prays, he interacts with his disciples, he prays, he interacts with his disciples. So you follow along that way. We're either going to be in the middle of a prayer or in the middle of Jesus interacting with his disciples this morning. In all of this text, the, the prayer time of Jesus is really what comes to the fore, and it's contrasted with the lack of prayer from his disciples all of his prayer is preparing him for this trial, for this crucifixion. It's a, it's, and it's not only preparing him, but is he's preparing himself for the trial. He's trying to prepare his disciples, but they're not having it. They're not listening to it. They're not alert, 
and so they're unprepared. But he rises from this moment prepared to face his greatest challenge, the moment that he was born for. And his disciples rise from it unprepared. So I hope you find great hope in Jesus through this. I hope you learn how to walk with Christ through this. And I hope you learn not to be like the disciples in this particular instant. But either way, let's look at his first interaction with his disciples. Upon entering Gethsemane, this is his first interaction, he tells his disciples to stay in one place so he can pray, verse 36. So Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, verse 36, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so what he does is he leaves eight of them. There's 11 by now. Judas is gone. He's gone to do his business. And he leaves eight of them, and then he brings three of them with him closer to his place of prayer. He brings Peter, James, and John, John and James being the sons of Zebedee, verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So he leaves behind the eight, brings three, and then he's with this three, this inner circle, and he's often spent time with this inner circle. You've probably noticed that by now is he went up into the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't go with all the disciples. He just went to the th with the three, Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he reveals this deep anguish that he's experiencing. And he's revealing this to his inner circle, James and Peter and John. And I think this speaks to Christ's humanity because you've probably been in anguish in your life. You've gone through trials and you've had this inner turmoil. And, I, and my guess is that you've been through anguish and as you've gone through anguish, there's been times in that where you've wanted those who you trust the most around you. And it's your wife, it's your husband, it's your children, it's your family, it's some friends. But these are the people that, that you want the most around you. And Jesus wants those who are closest to him around him, the three. And as he brings these three to this quiet spot away from the other eight, he reveals his heart to them. Verse 37, at the end of it, it tells us he began to be sorrowful and troubled with them. There's, there's a, it's signifying the turmoil and the anguish that our Lord Jesus is going through at this moment. And the situation is that Judas has already betrayed him. The, the disciples are about to deny him. Uh, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders are going to conspire against him, and he's going to be condemned by the most powerful government to ever have existed, the Roman government. They're going to put him through a show trial, and they're going to crucify him in the most painful death, driving the nails through his hands and through his feet. They're going to ridicule him, and he's going to die. But that's not the real weight of the moment. I think that's part of it. I think it's playing into it. But that's not the real weight of the moment. J.C. Ryle describes the weight that's here on Jesus. He's wearing it like, like, a, like a lead jacket. It's heavy on him. And it's pressing his knees down and his feet on the ground. The pressure is in his head. If you've ever felt that type of pressure before. But J.C. Ryle says the real weight, look, it wasn't as much Judas, as, as painful as that was, the disciples, the Roman government, the Jews, the crucifixion, all that stuff was painful. But the real weight that bowed down the heart of Jesus was the weight of the sin of the world, which seems to have now passed down upon him with a particular or a peculiar force. It was the burden of our guilt imputed to him, which was now to be laid on him. That's his burden. And so this anguish is going on, and in his sorrow, he instructs the three, James, Peter, John, to watch while he prays. Verse 38, he says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And so he instructs them to watch, and, and this is an instruction to stay awake. And I think 
there's a few things going on. One is he's already warned them of their, of their, of their failure that's to come. Like he's told them they're going to deny him. And so he's saying, look, stay watchful because the temptation's coming, the trial's coming, and I want you to get through this. So his pastoral heart for his disciples is coming out. And he wants them to be faithful through this test that they're about to go through. So I think that's going on where he says, be watchful, stay awake. And then, and then beyond that, what I think is going on with Jesus is that he wants them to watch him as he goes through this turmoil. So they realize the severity of the moment, but they learn. So all of this is happening with the hopes that they'll follow him because Jesus isn't just going into an hour of great pressure. His disciples are too. It's not, it's not just his disciples that are going into an hour of temptation. It's Jesus. The, the spiritual moment is such that everyone's going to feel the pressure. And Jesus is preparing his heart for it, and he wants his disciples to prepare their hearts. And so this is his interaction with them. He's instructing them to prepare their hearts. It starts with him being with them as you might want to be with someone you love when you're going through, through anguish. And then it moves on to him withdrawing himself to the point where he's alone so he can go pray, as you might, sometimes you might have been in the point where you're so full of anguish that you don't even want the comfort of others. You just want a dark place to be on your own. So that's where he goes. And we move to this time of prayer. He goes to this dark place on his own now. In verse 39, we move from the interaction to the prayer where it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. It indicates his reverence to God as he enters this time of prayer that he falls on his face. Your posture and your prayers will likely indicate your attitude towards God, whether you're bowing or you're kneeling, or in this case, Jesus is falling on his face. There's this sense of dependency, brokenness, and he cries out in verse 39, My Father... As he's flat on his face. It says he fell on his face before God. So you picture him. He leaves the eight. He expresses his turmoil to the three. Then leaves the three. They're supposed to be watching. He falls right over on his face in the ground. And he cries out, my father. And so it's an emotional moment. I hope you see that. And this is how he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to pray our father. And this pulls back the curtain of the relationship within the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where we actually see the Son of God praying to the Father. So we only have one God. There's only one God. Yet, the Father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Each is equally God. And yet, the Father is a distinct person from the Son is a distinct person from the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. This is the ministry of the Trinity upon which our faith, our gospel is built. And, and Jesus not only pulls back the curtain to reveal the anguish of heart that he's experiencing, but he pulls back the curtain to reveal just a little glimpse at the Trinity here. And then he has this prayer that you have to pay attention to, to understand where this anguish is coming from. As he's going to pray, he's expressed the anguish to his disciples, now he's going to express it to his Father and in verse 39, it says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is this cup? Because this cup really plays an important role in this text. The cup is discussed in... Matthew 20, verse 22, we've already learned about the cup where Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? So there is this picture of Jesus getting ready in the Garden of Gethsemane to drink a cup, big cup, and he's about to drink it. He's talked about it once before. And so you should be going, going through your mind, what is this cup? And to get a little bit of insight into that cup, you have to look at the Old Testament, because in Old, the Old Testament, Psalm 75, verse 8, it talks about it among other places, where it says, in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and He pours out from it 
and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. What is this? And what this is, is the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus is getting ready to drink it. This is the anguish of Christ. So so the Old Testament describes God's wrath as a big cup of wine, of mixed wine. And in the bottom of the cup of wine are the dregs, so the, the sediments that have rested in the bottom. And when God punishes people, He describes it as making them drink the full cup of His wrath right down to the dregs. So what's in this cup? Well, what's in this cup that Jesus is about to drink is all the anger of God stored up over all the years towards His people. And this this anger of the Lord has been sitting in this cup, and He's been waiting for somebody to drink it so that the dregs have settled in at the bottom. And what Jesus is doing in this time of prayer is He's preparing His heart before God to drink this cup. And you say, well, what? how bad is this cup? Well, you think that every sin earns you an eternity in hell. And this is the cup of God's wrath towards every sin that His people have committed throughout all of history. So you think half a second in hell is bad, right? Fire for half a second. Well, try, try a week in hell. Try 10 years in hell. No, no, try eternity in hell. That's, that's horrifying. And then you multiply eternity in hell by every sin that God's people throughout the ages have ever committed. It's wrath upon wrath upon wrath upon wrath. And all of this wrath has been stored up in this cup so much that the sediments of the wrath have made their way down to the bottom in the dregs of the cup. And what Jesus is doing in this section is He's preparing His heart to drink all of this wrath right down to the dregs. Do you understand the anguish now? Do you understand the prayer of our Lord? And and so Jesus prays to God. He says, my Father, it's a simple prayer. If it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. It's not possible. There's no other way for you and I to be saved. There's no other way for us to find forgiveness unless our sins are paid for by Christ. And so God, in all His infinite wisdom, chose Jesus and predestined Him to suffer on the cross for all of His elect. And so Jesus is facing this moment that he's been born for, his own death. And the whole salvation of all his people, of his church, is resting on his shoulders. And as he's bowing before the Lord, he's asking one last time, is there any way out of this? And he knows as his human will gets in line with the will of God, he knows, no. He's got to drink the cup. There's no other way. And so he ends the prayer by saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. He expresses his anguish and then yields himself to God and through his prayer brings himself, his human will, into submission to God. This is the love that our Savior has for you. This is what he was thinking about here. He saw your sin. He saw you, and he thought, I can't save that sister. I can't save that brother unless I drink this cup. And so he he yields his will to God. And any of you that have had to make the decision to follow Jesus where it's going to cost you, you can relate to this on a very small level, can't you? Just a small level. Where you got to make a decision, and you know that decision is going to bring you pain, it's going to bring you sorrow, it's going to cost you, 
You, you know that, that place where you come before God and you yield it before Him and you say, my job is obedience and I trust it with the Lord. That's what He's doing here. And in a very small sense, I remember these, thinking of this text actually, a year and a half, two years ago, when we're making this, thinking of all the fines that are being piled up on us and the potential of jail time and the court orders and all of this stuff, we're opening our church. And I remember thinking about this text, thinking, this is the moment where the decision must be made, where my will, my desire for ease and peace, my, my desire for material blessing now must die. And it all has to line up with God. And if you've, ever, if you've ever laid it down for the Lord, you've come to this point. And by the way, this is, a, this is a sanctified prayer. Because what you learn as a Christian, that the immature Christian prays that God's will lines up with His will, your will. That's an immature prayer. The mature Christian learns to pray predominantly that His will lines up with God's will. That's what's going on here. I hope that's the greatest burden of your heart. You, know, you, can, you can listen to a lot of nonsense on television or the internet where it's, it's teaching you to name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. And If you just have enough faith, you'll line God's will up with the blessings that you want. But that's not the prayer of Jesus here. The maturity of prayer is coming to fruition here where Jesus is praying that His will will line up with God's will. And I hope that's the greatest burden of your heart. I hope the greatest burden of your heart is not material prosperity or even health or comfort. I hope the greatest burden of your heart is that, you, that God will give you the obedience to finish well and honor Him no matter the cost and to escape the wiles of the devil in your hour of temptation. I hope that's your greatest burden because it's coming through with Jesus Christ here. And He gives instruction first of all, and now he prays, and then the prayer ends. It's the first prayer. And then he moves from this first prayer to instruction again. Verse 40, and he came to his disciples. Here's, here's more instruction. He came to his disciples, and he returns to find them sleeping, and found them sleeping. And so you think of the anguish that Jesus has at this moment and you see the lack of awareness and insensitivity on the part of His disciples. And though we understand it's been a long day and they've just eaten a big feast and they've walked out to the Mount of Olives and they've been on a bit of a hike here, we understand why they'd be tired, but yet we see the insensitivity that they have. Is Jesus is alert to the moment, but they're not alert to the moment. Is Jesus has already expressed His inner turmoil, they are completely oblivious to it even though He's revealed His heart to them. And what are they but asleep? Asleep. They're not aware. And so Jesus chides Peter in verse 40. He said to Peter at the end of verse 40, So could you not watch with me one hour? And then he says in verse 41, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's concerned in this very moment he asks for an hour from Peter, and he's concerned that Peter, who's about to be tempted, is not taking the situation seriously enough. Peter had last time sworn he wouldn't deny Christ, but Christ prophesied that he would deny him three times. Christ wants him to succeed, but knows that he won't succeed unless he submits to God in prayer like Christ is doing here. Christ is adequately preparing himself for the trial, but he's watching Peter fail in the preparation and the other disciples. So again, you see his pastoral heart coming out. He wants his disciples to be successful 
in this hour of trial. And they're not going to be unless they get on their faces before God. And if you want to learn faithfulness and obedience to God, it's not going to flow from pep rally Christianity where you beat your chest with more bravado that you're going to obey. If you want to learn obedience to God and learn how to pass the test and the trial, you've got to learn to let God take you to the mat in prayer. You've got to learn to be like Jesus here and, and put your face in the ground and lay your, everything down before Him and yield to Him and let Him give you the desire and give you the power and give you the strength that you need in that dark hour where you're going eyeball to eyeball with the devil himself. And so Christ's heart here is Peter's success and Jesus admonishes Peter in this interaction towards watchfulness. And this is consistent, by the way, with the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to lead us not into temptation. And, and regenerate men, if you're born again, you always have this tension in your heart, don't you, on this side of eternity? Where Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When you're faced with the crucible of temptation, right, it's in your heart. You're like, I know what I should do. And in fact, I know I want to do it. And then you have this pull towards the sin. And, and, and it's like this, it's, it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's like, I, I want to do what's right, but the sin is just, it's almost like this gravitational pull, this magnetic pull towards it. And even though everything in your spirit wants to resist it, it's drawing you towards it like flies towards a heat lamp. Why would a fly want to fly into that heat lamp and die? Well, why would you want to fly towards sin and die, but yet it pulls you? And so Jesus is saying, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he's admonishing them to stay awake, to pray, to get their faces in the ground, watch him how it's done, and get right with God, and seek the strength that you need to resist. And so, so how many of you right now, you're like, well, you know, it's pretty easy time, don't need to pray much. And here's the thing with temptation, is it creeps up on you. It finds you when you're least expecting. You don't think the devil's been studying human nature for 6,000 years? Like, you don't think the devil studied the weaknesses of all your ancestors? He studied the weakness of every human that's ever lived. He's got his legions out there taking notes. And by the time he's got to you, you don't think he's an expert in this? How many degrees do you think he has in this and dissertations he's done on this? He's looked at this from every angle and then some. And so if you want to beat him at his game, it's not going to be by you just saying you're going to do it. It's going to be by you pouring your heart out towards God. And like Jesus here, the primary aim is not to align God's will with your will. The primary aim is to align your will with God's will. That's prayer. That's deep prayer. When your desire, that's sanctification. That's a sign of grace in your life. If you're at the point where you, more than any other thing, you want your will aligned with God. And I fear there's a number here. It's not, they, they like a little bit of their will aligned with God, but not too much. That's for the real extreme Christians. Just enough for Sunday, maybe. Just enough when there's some serious Christians around. But this is, this is everything here. And this is your example. And if you want this type of a Christian life, this true sign of the Spirit of God at work in your life, this comes by prayer. This comes by prayer. And so Jesus is, is praying, or He's admonishing Peter to pray. And He goes from this interaction with Peter to another prayer. See how I said it would go? Interaction, prayer, interaction. Here we are, prayer. Jesus returns to private prayer in verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, the word drink here, of course, is talking about this cup again. 
the cup of God's wrath. And then Jesus goes from, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And so now again, what's he doing? He's bowing his head and he's submitting his will to God. And so I hope you see the prayer process. He's gone from this longer prayer earlier on where he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. And then now in this text, it's, it's more than, it's not just if it be possible, it's if this cannot pass. So, so his human will is, is, is gradually coming to this point. I mean, Christ never rebelled against God ever. But there's this real wrestle before God right here where it's, it's no longer if it can pass, if it's like, well, if it can't pass, please. I'm ready to drink it. Your will be done. I'm ready for the cup, God. And so do you see the process here? As Hebrews chapter 5 tells us, he's learning obedience to God. And, and some of you might be in a spot where you need to obey, and you know it. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there's a, a temptation. Maybe there's something you're holding on to, and you need to obey, and you know it. And you feel the pull, like the fly to the light. And, and you know it's going to be painful. You know it's going to cost, be costly. It's, you know it's going to take a piece out of you. And, and here's where it starts. This is where it starts. It starts in prayer, in the dark place, with anguish before God, begging Him to bring your will into line with His and confessing to Him that your will is coming into line with His and bringing yourself, watching Him bring you to the point where your entire being is being submitted to His will and His power is flowing through you. So now you're ready to face Him, or face the devil rather. And here's how it's done. This is a submissive prayer. So, so we've had the interaction, the prayer, the interaction, another prayer. Now we move on to another interaction with the disciples. He leaves this prayer. He's ready. He's getting ready for the cup. He's submitting, but are the disciples? Are the disciples following His example? Are they being watchful? Are they praying like He instructed them to? Verse 43, no. There's another interaction. And again, He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He visited them sleeping again. There's no conversation this time, just observation. And he sees them asleep. This demonstrates their insensitivity to Christ. This demonstrates their lack of dependence upon God. This demonstrates their spiritual lethargy. This is all in contrast to Jesus. Jesus is alert while temptation is afoot. The disciples are asleep while temptation is afoot. Jesus is warned of the, of the dangers the disciples face, the danger of denial, the danger of the flesh. The disciples are asleep through it. The warnings have come. The alarm bells have gone off. Jesus has sounded the bell. He's blown the horn. And where are the disciples through all of this? He's already warned them again and again. They're going to deny him. Peter's going to deny him three times. He said, look, you guys need to stay awake. You need to watch. You need to pray. Where are the disciples as they're about to face this dark hour? They're asleep. They're asleep physically and spiritually. Sometimes there's things that you need more than your sleep, and it's prayer. It's a good idea to set your alarm and get up early and pray. Jesus is wrestling with God to bring His will into submission to God, and His disciples are asleep. Look, I've said it before in a sermon. I'm, I'm beating this drum again because I want you to get it. We have to get this. We're missing so much of Christianity if we miss this. When you're entering times of intense temptation, first of all, you don't know it. You're usually not aware of it. Where your flesh wants to crack and cave, but you know the Spirit is willing, that's not the time to sleep. That's the time to pray. And, and, and to sweat drops of blood and anguish before God to bring you into submission to His will. And so Jesus, he, he, he leaves them. He doesn't admonish them anymore. Do you know this is the way it happens sometimes? Is it a disciple? Sometimes you receive the warning, you receive the warning, you receive the warning, and then the warnings stop, and now you're going to learn by pain. Right? Parents know this, don't you? If you teach your children, you know this. Either they're going to learn by listening to you or they're going to learn by pain. 
One way they're going to feel it. The easy way is to learn by listening. Well, Peter didn't listen. So Jesus walks up, he's sleeping, hadn't listened. And so now what? Well, he doesn't warn him again. He walks away and he goes praying while Peter's sleeping. In verse 44, we move back into the prayer. We're either in a prayer or in a time of interaction. Verse 44, it says, So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Jesus goes to this time of prayer, seeking the help of God. He finds no help in man. He realizes he's all alone at this point, by the way. Remember, he, he went with the three. Why did he go with the three? Well, because he thought that the three, maybe they'd be able to comfort him. Well, now the three are sleeping, and so now he's realizing that he's all alone. And so now he goes off on his own, and he's, he realizes he's on his own, and, and he's going to... Um, what he's going to do is he's going to, to pray to God for God's help. In verse 44, he prays the same words. That's what he prayed in verse 39. Verse 42, let me take this cup. Give me the strength to take this cup. And he's praying that his whole being will now yield to this dreadful will of God. And prayer is when you are close to the Lord. Prayer is when, what did I say? The mature prayer is when your will is being conformed to God's will, not when you're trying to get God's will conformed to your will. Right? And this is what Jesus is doing here. And Jesus rises from prayer the third time. So verse 44, he prays, then he rises again. So verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. So this is quick. We don't hear the words, but we know he's saying them. And then he rises from prayer a third time. But this time he rises and it's different. Something different happens in this moment. And as he rises in this moment, he's not rising to go admonish his disciples to pray again. No. He's rising like a champ going on the field. Something's changed. So, so his heart's ready. The, the resolve, the, not, the, not the self-will, the spiritual resolve, the power of God is there. And, and he's rising like a champ to go on the field. He's not going on the, champ, on the field to sack the quarterback, though. He, he's going on the field to crush Satan's skull with his foot by the blood of the cross. And, and he's, he's, he's now rising from prayer like a champ. And he's getting ready to walk out of Gethsemane for the very moment that he was born. He was born for this. And here he goes. It's go time. You see, Gethsemane was where Jesus yielded to the spiritual power of God. So he could rise from the earth with his face pressed into the earth and go to the cross and launch a bloody massacre against the works of Satan. And he rises from this third prayer, and he goes to his final interaction with his disciples. And his final interaction with his disciples is no longer, you need to prepare for battle and pray. That's not what is that. That's not, like, this is what it's been up until now. Guys, watch. Guys, pray. Guys, get ready. Well, meanwhile, he's watching. He's praying. He's getting ready. They're not. Right? You see the contrast? And so now he's, he's risen up, he's ready. Like you can see it in his eyes. This is his moment. And he goes back to his disciples and it's like, it's boys, it's, it's no longer get ready. It's we're going whether you're ready or not. And he has this final interaction with his disciples after this third prayer. And look at it. He visits the disciples again in verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. It's over. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinner. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's no longer sit there and pray. It's no longer sit there and watch. It's no longer be alert. Now is the time that we've been praying for. This is what I've been talking about. Ready or not, here we go. It's go time. 
Now, verse 45 is translated differently in a number of different translations. All of them come out with essentially the same meaning. I think the best translation is probably that which is found in the New American Standard, where it says, are you still sleeping and resting, meaning it's a rhetorical question, where he's chiding them. And that comes out, he's asking them a similar question to what he asked them in verse 40. But either way, this is an admonishment to let's go. It's time to go. And this is the third time, by the way, he's caught them sleeping, is he tells them to rise up and go because the, the hour is at hand. This is the third time he's caught them sleeping after he went to pray. This is the third time he caught them sleeping after he warned them of spiritual danger. Third time. This is the third time he caught them sleeping after he anguished before God to yield to the cup of the Lord and drink that cup right down to the dregs. It's the third time. And this is the third time he's caught them sleeping after he told Peter he'd deny him three times. And he tried to help Peter prepare himself. And what did Peter do? He slept. Look, if you can't stay awake to pray for strength, if you can't stay awake to draw strength from God, if you can't stay awake to yield your heart to God, you won't find the strength to fight the devil in your darkest hour. Like, like when, it's, when it's you in the room with the devil and that's it, there's no one around to help you. There's no accountability. There's, there's no friends try, encouraging you to go along. And, 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 but it's just you in the room with the devil. And, and it's war. Ten times out of ten, the devil has an up on you. He's stronger than you. He's smarter than you. He knows more tactics than you. He knows your weaknesses better than you know his. His game plan is better. He's got many different game plans. He's got a thousand times a thousand different plays. Every time you find yourself in the room, eyeball to eyeball with the devil, he's stronger than you. He knows more than you. He gets it. He knows where he's going to take this every time when it's just you and the devil. And so before you find yourself in that place, you better have had some time in prayer because the only way you're going to beat him is by the strength of Christ. He might be stronger than you, but you have a stronger champion. And you better have been on your face seeking the strength of the Lord for the moment of temptation. But the disciples didn't do that. So, so when it came time for them to do business and to go to war, and when it came time for their, their moment where they could have shone, they could have shone brightly, they could have been there for their friend, they weren't ready. And so Jesus doesn't say, go pray, go watch, go get ready anymore. It's now we're marching off to war. Verse 45, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is, is at hand. Now it's time to go, boys. And he rises like a champ for war. So, so that you can almost see this, this unflinching commitment in our Savior's eyes, this determination, as he walks calmly forward with the peace of God, confident in God, to meet the betrayer, to meet the trial, to see the crucifixion, to triumph, and to undo the works of Satan and destroy the works of Satan and make his way to that bloody cross why? To drink the wrath of God right down to his dregs so that you and I can be forgiven. He's ready. He knew what it was going to take. And he's ready. But the disciples are all going to melt like a bunch of chocolate soldiers in a microwave. They're done. They're not ready. J.C. Ryle said, he said, let us live like men on enemy's ground. Too many of us are living as if we're not in hostile territory. Every day we're in hostile territory. 
We got to live like we're on enemy's ground all the time. David Dixon commented, he said, the only way to prevail is to watch and to pray to God for assistance. And too many want to be champs while they're sleeping through life like the disciples. And, and it, here, you know what, if, if you want victory over sin and you want to lay your sins down and have an end to the porn or an end to the drugs, an end to the drunkenness, the sexual sin, you want an end to that, true repentance as God commands you, you want that? This is where it happens. It happens on your face before the Lord. No amount of therapy, no amount of pastoral counseling, no amount of biblical counseling is going to get you out of that. What you need is the power of God and true pastoral counseling and biblical counseling. That's one of the first things they'll point out. I can't help you, only God can. And my job is to teach you to go to God. Sure, I'll give you some tactics along the way, but ultimately they're just tactics revealed in Scripture. And you want to do great things for the Lord Jesus? You want to shine when nobody else is shining for Christ? You want to stand in the dark hour that creeps up on you unexpectedly? When everyone else melts like chocolate soldiers, the only way it's going to happen if it's drawn from those deep wells of prayer. That's when you see who's who in their prayer closets. That's what you see what's really going on in people's hearts. Enough with the superficial Christianity. They melt like chocolate in a microwave. But the men and women that have been on their faces before God, then they rise and then they do battle. Because they're following the way of Christ. And ultimately they know they can't do battle anyway. They need the one who's already done the battle for them. The one who already drank that cup right down to his dregs. So let us follow our champion. Let us follow him into battle. Let us learn from him how to pray in meekness. And let us watch our great champion slay his enemies and win the salvation of his people.